Engage for Success Radio, raising the profile of employee engagement and shining a light on good practice for people who believe there's a better way to work. Well, hello, everybody. Welcome to show number 338 from Engage for Success. I'm host for this week's podcast. I'm Joe Moffitt, um, Managing Director of Woodread, and we work with our clients to help them use their brands to engage their people and create high-performing cultures inside their organizations. So it's a great pleasure uh, to have as our guest for today's show um, somebody who I saw speak at an event last summer uh, who talked with great passion um, and considerable insight into the importance of values in creating an exceedingly high-performing organization because his role is as CEO in the world of elite sport. Um, and we're going to be talking about values and culture in football management. So um, I'm well, uh, very pleased to welcome Paul Barber to the show. Hello, Paul. Hello, Joe. Thanks for having me on. It's a pleasure. Paul is um, Chief Executive and Deputy Chairman of Brighton and Hove Albion Football Club. Um, we'll need no advertising, I think, for our listeners from the UK. Um, Brighton and Hove Albion uh, being one of our Premier League uh, football teams um, for those uh, outside of the UK, uh, this is important stuff. So that's really all you need to know. Um, now, we've got a, a show um, planned to talk about values and culture in football management. Um, as I say, I saw Paul speak at an event last year where he talked about this with uh, you know, considerable passion. And I, I thought it was a, a lovely story that I wanted to uh, share more widely. But we can't really get into that, I think, without, first of all, spending a little bit of time talking about the, the current situation that we all of us, uh, whether wherever we are in the world, are facing at the moment, which is the uh, a coronavirus outbreak. And although people may be listening to this show in six months, 12 months' time through the archive, um, it would be very remiss not to talk about it. And I think there's some very valuable things that we can discuss initially, um, particularly around how you work with your employees in times of uncertainty, because... Um, you know, that is, that is clearly what all of us as employers and employees are currently uh, facing at the moment, let alone the concerns that we have in our own families and communities. So, Paul, um, I've seen you um, a little bit on the, on the news over the course of this weekend. I've seen interviews with you on, on Twitter and so on, um, talking about the impact of coronavirus and the fact that the premiership has, uh, has, has been suspended. And I wonder whether we can just start off just by asking you a little bit from the from your perspective as a CEO, an employer, and somebody whose business is very much in the public eye. How what your approach is to all of this? How do you what do you think matters? Well, I think first of all we're living in very unprecedented times, and we're very much in uncharted territory at the moment. Um, so mm -hmm. for us, it's a very simple um, decision to put people's health first, and, and that's not just the health of our own staff and, and in, in our case athletes but also the health of 30,000 people that come to our stadium to watch our matches and mm -hmm. the Premier League took the right decision last week to suspend uh, two rounds of fixtures last the weekend just gone on the weekend um, facing us now um, and that is really a response to trying to uh, prevent the onward spread of the virus as, as quickly as, as, as it, it could when so many thousands of people in close proximity, not just in the stadium, which the government tells us is not a particularly unhealthy place to be because it's in the open air, but really about how people get to the matches, get home from the matches on crowded public transport, uh, how they might gather in bars and cafes and restaurants before and after the games, and all of those factors 
went into that that decision as well. We've also obviously got to to think of our own um, staff and and our our players in particular, who in some cases have been affected by the virus already, which has led to some teams having to self-isolate entire squads of footballers. So, you know, health comes first. Um, Obviously, financially, very, very difficult time for everybody, not just in sport, but across every industry. So that is clearly a consideration. But, you know, this is a a world crisis, a global crisis, and everybody's affected. And we've got to make sure that as a very high-profile organisation, we take the appropriate lead and lead our community and respect the fact that many of our staff have elderly relatives who could become very easily affected by the virus. And we've got to take the right decision at the right time, and, and we are. Right. Right. Good. Good. It, it's 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 always it's one of these things, isn't it? I mean, I, I was um, talking at an event last week about the science, the neuroscience behind employee engagement and how we are in our brains hardwired to crave certainty. And if we don't have certainty, we will kind of create our own narratives and we will potentially imagine the worst. And and we are really in a time of considerable uncertainty at the moment, aren't we? I mean, you've gone from, um, certainly in your own area, suspending uh, a couple of rounds of, of the, this year's premiership um, and really not knowing quite where you're going to go next. Uncertainty is probably the worst feeling um, for anyone, uh, whether it's about your own employment prospects, whether it's about your personal health, your family's health, um, and when we're in the grip of a, a crisis as, as, as difficult as this one, the uncertainty is almost unbearable. And the one thing traditionally that people have clung on to in times of uncertainty is, is sport, and in particular in this country, football. Um, and mm. people look forward to football as a way of releasing them from their day-to-day pressures, whether it's work or family life or any other pressures they might have, even people that are critically ill make their way to football matches as a way of, of, of finding a release from their everyday pressures. So not to have that, to have that taken away from them as well, you know, adds another level to the anxiety that people are feeling at the moment. Um, and as I said yeah. at the start, you know, these really are unprecedented times. You know, we've very, yeah. very rarely in history uh, faced issues such as the ones we're facing now, not just in one country, but literally in, in hundreds of countries. So Slightly. it is difficult yeah. and the uncertainty is, is really quite... Uh, quite debilitating for, for, for many, many people. Mm, mm, uh, absolutely. Well, let, let's, let's turn now to talk a little bit more specifically about Brighton and Hove Albion Football Club and the work that you have done there. And I'm sure, because I'm sure that as we talk, what will come through is that the approach that you have taken is still very much, that is going to underpin your response to your people and your community um, in, in, in the current situation, because it's all about very much about honesty and transparency and openness, isn't it? So um, can you just paint a little bit of a picture of Brighton and Hove Albion uh, as, a, as an organisation, um, shall we say, um, when, you, when you joined and, and where you are now? Yes, certainly. First of all, Brighton Hove Albion Football Club is 119 years old, so we've been around a very long time. But unfortunately, nearly 20 years ago, we almost went out of existence. Um, we had fallen to the lowest level of professional football in England, and financially, the club was very much on its knees. And remarkably, we managed to survive that almost sort of cataclysmic event for the club. And 
10 years after that, found ourselves moving to a brand new stadium with a new owner funding the club, supporting the club with uh, financing the stadium and building a new training ground. And it gave us an opportunity to effectively create a rebirth of a very old institution. Um, Mm -hmm. And that rebirth gave us an opportunity to develop new values for the organization, to create a new vision, um, to embed that that, that culture that we wanted to be successful, uh, to drive a high-performance organization. And so mm-hmm. we set about with a very clear vision to try and take the club from the, the third tier of, of English football to the top tier, the Premier League. Um, and we wanted to do it in a way where we, we, we lived really strong values. And, and our values are about acting with integrity, uh, treating people well, exceeding expectations, aiming high, and making whatever we do special. And those five mm-hmm. values just happen to spell a team, as in a, a team. Um, and, of course, you know, it's a, a great way of our staff remembering what our values are. But most of importantly, course. over the 10 years that we, you know, since we moved to the new stadium, um, our focus has really been about not talking about the values but living the values and making sure mm-hmm. that in every decision we take, um, we reflect the values that we set out with nearly a decade ago. Um, and that manifests itself in a whole range of different ways, from the people we recruit to the way we reward people uh, to the way we set our company culture in terms of discipline uh, mm-hmm. to the type of players that we hire to, to, to be the athletes that, that perform for us every week um, to literally every single part of the day-to-day running of the club. And, and as, you, as you say, Joe, in this particular crisis, um, you know, we're putting the health of our people first. We're putting the health of our community first. We feel that that's not only acting with integrity, but treating people well. And, Mm. you know, where we can, we're going to do whatever we can to support the community through the crisis. So one of the decisions that we took just on Friday was to continue paying our staff who normally only work for us on a match day, whether those match days go ahead or not. It's a small gesture that we can make to employees that, frankly, Mm. are the lower paid of our staff who very, very often will be doing the, the match day jobs to either top up their pension, top up their student loan, top up another full-time job just to make sure that they can pay the bills. And it mm. seemed to us to be the right thing to do to, to carry on paying those people because although we might not be playing the matches, uh, without those people on an ordinary weekend, we couldn't go ahead with our matches without them. So it seems mm. to be a, a small way of rewarding their loyalty and their support for us at a time when they probably need us um, as much, if not more, than we need them. Yes. And what, what, what are we talking about in terms of numbers of employees? What's the sort of structure of things there, Paul? Well, on a match day, um, the, the type of people that we're going to carry on paying for the next five home matches right to the end of the season will be around 600 people. So it's mm-hmm. a considerable to carry on paying uh, those people when there's a very good chance that, that they won't be required to work again uh, this season. I mean, we are aiming to play our matches, but obviously with the crisis uh, developing, we, we really don't know whether we'll be able okay. to. So yes. wanted to create some certainty for those people, going back to the point about how unnerved people are by uncertainty. Well, uncertainty of, of, of getting paid is a very, very big and significant factor in people's lives. And we wanted mm. to remove that one uncertainty to try and give people a little bit of comfort at a very difficult time. Mm, mm, absolutely. It, it, you know, one of the things you said about really living your values, and that, that, that really chimed with me when, when I saw you speak last year and, and again just now, because you know, it's one of, one of those things that is so important. And unfortunately, so often values 
are something that appears on the wall on a poster and that's kind of where they stay and they kind of get parked particularly when the going gets tough you know or other priorities come along it's very easy to drop the values isn't it and um, I think if you could be demonstrating them on a day-to-day basis that that really um, is about integrity both in, in terms of integrity of the of your values and behaviors but also when you have it as one of your values it's, it's absolutely key so given that you do demonstrate your values on a day-to-day basis and people really live them um, how does what you're doing there in terms of the way you use your values and the way you try and create your culture how does that differ from say other 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 clubs in the in the in the league and in the premiership well i think traditionally sport has always been um about the results of the team and therefore the focus has always been on the athletes and you know whether it's been providing them with the best possible working conditions, the best possible salaries, obviously, but also the best possible nutrition, the best possible medical care. Uh, it really has been all about the athletes. And in, in many clubs, that's still the case. We felt mm. that in order to create a genuinely high-performance organization, we needed to look at the staff that supported the athletes, the people that um, sell the tickets, the people that market the matches, the people that... Um, ensure that our finances are are appropriately managed. All of those people play a part in actually making the team successful. So when we embarked on our journey to try and get to the Premier League, we decided to completely reorganise our remuneration structures and our bonus structures so that it wasn't just the athletes that were rewarded for the success, it was everybody in the organisation. And that helped us drive high performance in every area. It helped us Mm -hmm. to improve our standards in every area because we gave people a a sense not only of belonging uh, which the culture was underpinning but also a real um, incentive for doing whatever they can to make the team be as successful as possible and and we always say as a as a general rule you know our jobs uh, here in the football club are to do everything we possibly can to help the coaches and the players get the best possible results because if they're successful we're successful if we're successful then we're all and that actually yeah. creates a, a, a circle of, of, of um, success which everyone can share in. And financially, um, again, everyone um, is, is driven by different motivations, but most people are going to be at some point driven by a financial position, whether it's being able to extend um, their property in some way or buy a new one or buy a first property or buy a new car or send their kids to university or take themselves and their family on a nice holiday, at some point being rewarded financially for success is something that everyone takes some pleasure from. So we decided Mm. to align our bonus structures so that if we were successful, everybody in the football club shared in that success. And that's been a a hugely beneficial uh, decision that we've made. And not only did we um, pr- promote um, the bonus for when we secured um, our passage to the Premier League, but we've also um, given people bonuses for our time staying in the Premier League. So uh, everyone each year has a reason to work as hard as they possibly can to drive high performance in their areas because they mm-hmm. do financially share in that success. Mm, right. And I think you were, you were telling me when we spoke about this before that the first year, you you did you you missed out by minutest fraction, by one point, I think it was, and you you. It wasn't even one on. point. We actually we actually finished uh, level with the team that actually was promoted, and we we missed out on promotion by just one goal. Um, oh, right. So yes. if, if we if we had scored one more goal 
in the in the Championship, the level below the Premier League, and conceded one less goal, we would have been promoted, and the other team wouldn't have been. So we missed out literally by the finest of margins. But we said from the start to our staff that the promotion bonus, as we called it, was was a was a, an all-in bonus. It was mm-hmm. either we achieve the success and the bonus is payable. Or we don't, and it isn't. There's going to be nothing in the middle. We're not going to pay any part of the bonus unless we achieve our primary objective. So that was a very difficult message then to have to convey to people after we missed uh, promotion by such a narrow margin because I think some of our staff expected that we would make some kind of token gesture. And Mm. what we decided to do was no, um, we, we were not going to make a token gesture. We needed for the following season to actually be as... Uh, high performing as we possibly could at every single level of the club in every department of the club and if we were and we pushed that little bit harder then the following season all being well we would secure that promotion and then we would pay the bonus Um, Mm. and that's exactly what happened what happened yeah so it I mean it's a tough thing to keep the motivation going in the face of that isn't it and but 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 then sport is a tough business isn't it you have to roll with the punches and take the wins when you get them and, and, and pick yourself up and deal with the losses when you inevitably have those, I guess. And so that you, philosophy you applies and, across the board, doesn't it? And, and as, Indeed it does. And as hard as it was for us as the non-athletes in the football club on missing out on achieving our, our primary aim and the, the glory of reaching the Premier League, um, you can imagine how tough it was on the athletes themselves. Uh, the footballers mm. themselves took that... Um, that that loss very very significantly and you know we in that situation have to be on the same side as them we have to share in that pain in order to share in the glory and the Mm. success so you know it was a lesson for everybody that was new to football that this is a a tough uh, sport to be in anyone that was new to elite sport would would learn a lesson about how tough elite sport was you know there are winners and there are people that don't win and Mm. on that occasion we were not the winners and we had Mm. to Um, accept that gracefully we had to regroup we had to refocus for the following season um, and put in that little bit of extra effort that was going to be the difference and in the end I think people saw that actually they could make a huge difference by just pushing that little bit harder and that's exactly what they did Uh, we secured the promotion and then we were delighted to pay out the bonus and you know it was worth 20% of people's base salaries so it wasn't an insignificant amount of money it did enable people to buy that car it did enable people to buy their first flat or to put the deposit down mm-hmm. it did enable mm-hmm. people to go on that family holiday they dreamed of so there was yeah. a real tangible reward for that extra effort and a real uh, sense of achievement uh, a sense of a satisfaction from being a part of something that will be talked about in the club's history for, for many many mm, years to come many years. Um, and, yeah. all of us, and all of us could share in that and and we could mm. all share in it because we all had a stake in it and we also had a stake the previous season in disappointment. So it yes. felt all the better and all the yes. more uh, enjoyable because of it. So I was at the um, Health and Wellbeing at Work event at the NEC last week, and, and um, I was chairing employee engagement stream there. And, and I was telling them that you were coming on the show this, today and, and, and talking about, because it was all about health and wellbeing, and I, and I sort of gave them a little bit of a, a preview. Because one of the things that I find fascinating is the fact that you have elite sports people, but you take the, the techniques of, of health and well-being and resilience, which we've kind of just been touching on, much more broadly, don't you, across your people. I wonder if you could tell us a little bit about that in terms of what you do around mind and body and, and, and general welfare of your people to get everyone to be elite. 
Yeah, well, one of the first things that, that people think of when they, they talk about elite athletes and sports people is, of course, their diet and nutrition. Um, and as I said earlier, in, in the past uh, and still now in many clubs, the focus is on the, the well-being of the athletes because ultimately they're the performers, they're the people that can drive the success on the pitch. We decided to take a slightly different view and, and say that in order to get high performance across the whole organization, um, nutrition for every one of our employees was as important. And what we found was that, of course, like most organizations, particularly many in sport, we've got a young workforce. Um, they will typically skip breakfast, which is never a good, good move. Um, yeah. They will probably eat junk food at lunchtime if they're allowed to, uh, which is never yeah. a good movie, just for your general health. But in terms of performance in the, in the, in the office, you know, second half of the day after a junk food lunch, your, your performance is going to dip. So mm. we decided to take a big deep breath and extend the nutritious meals that we provide for our athletes, both at breakfast time and at lunchtime, to all of our employees. Um, and full-time, we've got about 250 employees across two sites, our stadium and our training ground. And we extended the, the diet that we provide to the athletes um, in a slightly modified form, um, but extended it to all employees. So plenty of um, fresh fruit at breakfast, eggs, um, cereals, um, all the sorts of things, yogurts that you would expect from a healthy breakfast in a, a professional sports environment. And then at lunchtime, grilled chickens, pastas, grilled fish, again, more fresh fruit, um, more uh, yogurt, um, and plenty of good nutrition to make sure that in the second half of the day, um, our employees' performance is, is as high as, as, as the first part of the day. So we're getting the youngsters to, to learn about nutrition and to eat better beginning of the day, middle of the day. It's saving mm -hmm. them money. We're providing yes. that nutrition for free, um, and yeah. it also takes away the need for them to have a big meal in the evening, which is expensive for, for a lot of young people living on their own. Um, mm. And on top of that, we've decided to sort of look further into their mental well-being. So we have yoga classes, um, meditation classes, uh, a range of uh, support counsellors that if anyone's got any particular issues they need to talk over, that they can do so in confidence and free of charge through through the team that we've, we've assembled. We have running clubs. We have a range of different um, so, sports and social activities to help people both physically and mentally supported by the nutrition program that, that I've just talked about. So, mm -hmm. you know, again... Mm -hmm. The high-performance culture isn't just about the athletes. It's extended right the way across the club, makes people feel that they're much more in touch with their colleagues that have to perform on the pitch, um, but also gives people a real sense of, of value and worth in the workplace that perhaps they wouldn't get in, in every organisation. Yes, no, absolutely, absolutely. And so it's very, this is all very carefully, very carefully planned and very well thought through and it's not it's not just a, by any means any a tick box exercise is it which which so often these things can can seem to be and I think you were telling me about how you plan the last few months from Christmas through to the end of the season to really try and keep everyone at, at that peak of performance yeah. and uh, yes, that we, again we struck me is really interesting yeah, we do a range of different things. I mean, uh, January blues. We have January blues month. You know, it's a it's a time of year in most um, organisations in any industry where people have perhaps spent a lot of money on Christmas. Um, they're they're coming into work after Christmas with big bills to pay. The weather's terrible. Mm -hmm. The nights are are long and dark and, and possibly wet and cold. Uh, people's mood tends to dip. Um, and so we try through, throughout the 31 days of January to do something different every day to lift employees' spirits. So 
you know, people old enough to remember the old-fashioned tea and cake trolleys that would go around offices in the 1960s and 1970s. Um, we, we bring those back in, so a little bit of a treat for people when they've had a healthy breakfast and a healthy lunch. Occasionally, with, during the January uh, Blues Month, we'll bring around the tea trolley, we'll serve people tea and coffee at their desks, we'll give them a small biscuit or a slice of cake just to lift their spirits. On another day, they might come in and find that... Um, there's a little prize on their desk for a particularly exceptional piece of work during the January month. It might be some Amazon vouchers for them to spend on whatever they want. It might be sending them off for a, a meal with their partner or sending them off for a meal with their team, or it might be a, a weekend away if they've been exceptional in some way. But different activities throughout January to get them through January. Then into February, um, you know, we're, we're pushing again the sort of the health and fitness programs and, and, and getting people sort of fit for the spring and then, of course, mm-hmm. March comes along, the evenings get a bit lighter. We're lucky where we live on the, on the coast here that we can get people out and down to the beach. And then, of course, April is the final month before the season, the final full month before the season ends, and the finishing line's in sight, and hopefully we've energised and motivated people through the dark and di- di- dismal months to get to, to spring and, and, and look forward to their summer break, which starts in May. So, you know, we try where we can to divide those months up into very specific activities and focuses so that we can maintain that high level of uh, performance that we're looking for uh, and of course hopefully get us through the season you know with another season in the Premier League to look forward to so these things are planned they're not uh, they're not ad hoc we do have a series of tactical things that we might do from time to time Um, we have staff briefings on a monthly basis where I, you know, my, it's my job to stand up in front of all of the staff at both of our sites face-to-face, take any questions, make sure that everyone has an opportunity to ask whatever they want to ask, however well things are going or however difficult things are. Um, it's mm-hmm. an opportunity to, to see me face-to-face and to have that interaction. And again, it's very easy, I think, if you're leading an organisation to uh, lead from behind an email um, and mm. yes we do occasionally send out emails because you know there are times when urgent communication is necessary but most of the time you know we try and do our face-to-face communication because that's what we feel is more powerful that's what we feel um, reflects our values better treat people well exceed expectations act with integrity and where we can make it special and, and you know making it special for employees is as important as making it special for our fans uh, and making mm. it special for our community so so again, it's about living the values. You can talk the values all day long. You can print them on pieces of paper. You can post them around your office. But the best demonstration is when people can see you actually living them. Uh, and we try and do that every day. Absolutely. Very, very impressive stuff. Paul, we've got just over three minutes left. I wonder if we could just finish off because people listening might be thinking, oh, well, this is all very well. This is, this is all, all lovely and, and uh, we couldn't possibly afford to do this or this is, uh, this is a bit pink and fluffy. Uh, I'm not saying for one minute it is, but I would love to know, uh, love you to sort of share with our listeners how you measure and how you know that this is all working. You know, what are the, what are the sort of key uh, indicators that you, that you look for to know that this is actually delivering something for you? Well, on the field, obviously, we're now in our third season in the Premier League. It's the, the, the three years in our entire 119-year history that, we, that we've played in the Premier League and only seven seasons in our entire history that we've played at the top level of English football. So from a performance point of view on the pitch, um, we're, yeah. we're seeing great success. Off the pitch, um, our employee retention uh, statistics are as high as they've ever been so people are joining us, they're staying mm-hmm. with us, they like working with us. Um, our applications mm-hmm. for 
for vacancies are as high as, as, as they ever have been. People want to join us because of the reputation we've got. Our employee mm -hmm. attitude surveys are positive uh, and all of the independent measures that we have in terms of how our staff treat supporters coming to the stadium, um, what uh, people think of our safeguarding programs, all of the measures that we are judged upon by our league and by our industry, uh, we always finish in the top one, two or three positions uh, every single time. So all of the yeah. indicators that we have are positive. Uh, the, the key to all cultures is sustaining them and making mm -hmm. sure that even in more difficult times, you continue to, to live by your values. And now we're in more difficult times. You know, we're going to be tested again throughout this crisis to make sure that we treat people well, we act with integrity, and we do all, we th all the things that we've talked about, even when the going is tough, even when there are no matches, even when our income levels invariably are going to drop and drop significantly. You know, this is where people are going to test us most. So it's probably good to come back in, in, in six months from now and hopefully when we're through this crisis or at least through the worst of it uh, to see how well we've done through that and, and I, I would really hope and, and expect uh, us to continue our values through the process of dealing with a, a major international crisis as well. Okay well let's hope we, if you would like to I'd love to have you back to pick up on that. We've got just one minute left. Um, if there was one thing that you would like listeners to take away from this that would be the you know the, the the one key thing they need to remember um not perhaps just around values and culture but maybe more broadly in terms of what's going on at the moment paul what what would your advice be well i think you know from a, from a cultural point of view having a clear vision and strong values which your employees have helped you develop is always going to stand you in good stead but i think like in any crisis uh, communication is absolutely critical it's very easy um, in a crisis to allow a void to, to be created to hide behind i can't speak now or i can't communicate now because i don't know all the answers actually when people are uncertain they get reassured by someone taking a leadership position and doing what they can to provide answers and most people will accept that in a time of crisis and rapidly changing crisis not all of the answers are going to be available every minute of the day but I think if you raise your head above the parapet you lead from the front you try and steer your people and your community through a difficult time then you earn respect you gain people's confidence and hopefully you maintain the high levels of performance that we set out to achieve even before the crisis hit us. Well that's that's a great way to close Paul, thank you very much indeed for, for sharing all that with us. Um, I wish you well um, and the club over the coming months. Um, thank you very much, uh, Paul Barber, Chief Executive of Brighton Hove and Hove Albion, for joining us today. Thank you for listening and goodbye. Engage for Success Radio, raising the profile of employee engagement and shining a light on good practice for people who believe there's a better way to work.